Hopefully, my greasy sales gimmick worked and convinced you to at least try your hand at earning a bit of cash. Yes, I am 100% serious. Prove me wrong and the cash is yours. 5,000 Canadian dollars at whatever current exchange rate is if you happen to live outside of Canada. It's usually around 70% of American currency. It fluctuates, so I don't want to provide a number, but it will probably be between three and $4,000 American. Before we go on any further, I want to ask you a question that I want you to keep in your mind while you listen to this episode. How many global and reliable sources of information would most of us agree that we can trust? To clarify, I don't mean local or national news. And for this question, it doesn't really matter whether you personally lean left or more liberal or right or more conservative. The question still stands. For instance, in Canada, where I live, we have a national news source called the CBC. I'm not here to comment that they are perfect, nor am I commenting that they are always 100% neutral. But chances are, I think most of us would agree that they are a fairly legitimate source of information. If a British person read an article on the CBC, chances are they would probably agree it's a legitimate source. Conversely, I trust that the BBC is a fairly legitimate source as well. And again, I'm not trying to claim there are never opinion pieces, nor am I commenting that they don't lean a certain way on some stories. Of course they do but their info is fairly reliable. If you disagree with that statement, then if anything, this will only further prove what I'm trying to claim here. But the CBC primarily is concerned with Canadian national news. Yes, they do cover global stories, but a good portion of their stories have to do with Canada. That makes sense, seeing as how the word Canada is in the name of the organization. So the CBC cannot exactly be called a global source of information, since a good portion of their focus is on Canadian news and Canadian matters. So who then would be a candidate for a global source of information that for the most part, regardless of which country you currently live in, most of us agree we trust? Here's a couple suggestions. How about the United Nations? Can most of us agree that when it comes to global matters, they are probably accurate? Right? I'm not telling you, I'm asking you. Well, how about NASA, the space organization? Sure, they're based out of the United States, but most of us globally would agree with their statements, would we not? How about the news source, The Guardian? They operate based out of three separate countries. Even if they do lean a little left on some stories, would we not mostly agree that they are a legitimate global news site? And if you think they lean too far left, who then is the equivalent news site to The Guardian on the right, conservative side of the spectrum? A global news site that operates in many countries and is independently run. Who is it? Because I can't personally name one. And if there is one that exists, it's not that I haven't tried looking for it. Which will once again only prove the point I'm attempting to make. For transparency, I will admit that on some issues I lean left, and on other issues I lean right. But I want you to keep this question in your mind. Would you trust NASA? Would you trust the United Nations? And would you trust The Guardian as legitimate sources on global matters? 
or would you not trust them? And if you don't, which international organizations do you trust? And if your answer to that is that you trust no one, then once again, it will only further prove the point I am trying to make in this episode. Prove me wrong, and you'll earn $5,000. And to be clear, this is more so an exchange. There will be further details, and you could forward to the end of the episode if you just want to know more about the $5,000 challenge. Before you skip on over, know that I'm not much of a gambler. I wouldn't put up that much of my own cash if I thought I would easily lose it. You'll have to follow specific directions later in the episode. And chances are, if you're not interested in sustainability right now, you probably won't be super interested in participating. But it's open to everyone, even if you're a climate change denier. I'm not here to argue with anyone. I'm only trying to present an idea to those of you that already believe in it. The climate change deniers don't have to be on board for my idea to work. There is also a deadline. Every month that passes, I drop the amount by $1,000. So by the end of September 2019, the amount is $4,000. End of October 2019, it's $3,000, and so on. This overall strategy took me around two years to diagnose and design. So the amount of time I've allowed should be more than enough time to complete the challenge, should it interest you. As per my limited knowledge on Canadian law, this episode should constitute a verbal agreement and should hold up in a court of law should I refuse to pay you the money if you indeed prove me wrong. I'm not here to try and screw anyone out of their money. The only people I would refuse to pay are those that do not follow the instructions I have left further on in the episode. To be clear, none of the ideas presented in this show are the conventional things you hear on the subject of sustainability. I propose using business strategies like Kurt Lewin's Unfreeze to quickly and likely still profitably solve our sustainability problem. Most of this episode will not make sense to new listeners, but this is technically episode 38. If you just want the $5,000 challenge details, skip to the end of the episode. I will provide the exact times in the episode description if you want to skip ahead and get started right away. You're welcome to listen to the whole episode, but there is likely some material that may not make a whole lot of sense to you without listening to previous episodes. This is episode 38, after all. With that out of the way, here goes. Welcome to Viable Underdogs. This is episode 38, and uh, seeing as how this is already almost 9,000 words long, I'll skip the rest of the regular intro. We briefly discussed the difference between perception and reality in episode 31, and we also discussed how these concepts can sometimes overlap one another. Here's an expansion on the idea we presented in that episode. We'll use an analogy, and if you're new to this show, we do this quite often here. Let's pretend you hop in your DeLorean and travel back in time to the 1930s and you instantly inherit a massive reserve on the world's diamonds. Pretty cool, right? Well, not as cool as you might think. During this time, diamonds are considered to be the most abundant and least desirable precious gemstone there is. The public perception is that diamonds are not that special. But you're clever. You know that you control a significant amount of global diamond supply. 
You can choose to restrict the supply to artificially increase demand. You can make it appear that diamonds are far more rare than they are. This helps, but the problem is the perception. The general perception prior to the 1940s is that engagement rings should come with sapphires and rubies, not typically diamonds. But you're even more clever. You realize that if you can only change this public perception, you can vastly increase the volume of sales and the prices charged for diamonds. This is what the marketing campaign, Diamonds Are Forever, did for De Beers in the 1940s. According to an article in the New York Times, written by J. Courtney Sullivan, here was the goal of the campaign. To create a situation where almost every person pledging marriage feels compelled to acquire a diamond engagement ring. De Beers' successful alteration of public perception is so massively ingrained into our culture that many people don't even realize the following. For one, have you ever heard the saying, if you love your sweetie, you'll spend two or even three months salary on their diamond engagement ring? Did you know that also originated as a marketing campaign? We'll leave a source at the end of the episode if you're curious to do more research. Have you ever heard about people or even yourself receiving diamond jewelry or other jewelry as an heirloom? This too often has a lot of basis in successful marketing. Though it's probably not too hard to imagine this happened to some degree anyway, but nowhere near to the level required to prevent people selling back their diamonds into the market, which would cause the value to drop. Much like cars, the perceived value drops considerably even if someone owns it for a short period. This is by design. Even though we often forget this because public perception is so strong, we often mistake our perception of diamonds as tradition or culture. And technically, it's become those things now, since several generations of people have been affected by successful marketing. Diamonds are forever, after all. This perception is embedded into our culture. We're not commenting on diamonds other than that. Just like everything else humans touch, it can become a force of beauty or a force of chaos. Much like the perception of diamonds changed following the successful ad campaign in the 1940s, so too does the general perception of sustainability require changing. See episode 31 for more details. Once this perception is corrected to the reality of the situation, the general atmosphere changes. And at this point, new ideas are easier to propose and more likely to be implemented. All I'm suggesting is vastly accelerating the processes already put in place. And you decide if you want to use these strategies. It's your call. It's your planet. News outlets are already aware of our plans. We sent all of our plans to them. I doubt they really looked at them, but with a lot of luck, they're going to very soon. Hopefully they will. Effective communication on sustainability is their job after all, not ours. But our current main point on the subject of sustainability is that our communication system is broken. See episodes 3, 7, 8, 18, 20, 22, 23, 27, 29, and 33. Our summary episode is titled Communication and is episode 31. Need more proof? 
How about a story that was very recently in the news about the news, ironically enough? Again, we're not here to point fingers. We believe this was an honest mistake. Just another symptom of the problem that journalism is a very underfunded and overworked industry. But in a nutshell, there was a news source that confused the location of countries on our globe. Japan was placed where New Zealand is, and Papua New Guinea was relabeled South Korea. Does this kind of seem to you like the type of mistake that should not really happen if a story was properly fact-checked and edited prior to the story being run? And again, it's one example of many. We'll leave a source of this story at the end of the episode. If we repair our communication system and, our, and communicate one single, accurate, unbiased message, the perception of sustainability will change. Of this, I assure you. This will allow the Foundation to propose solutions that likely would not work very well in the current perception. Our current world with very broken communication. To be abundantly clear, Neither this podcast nor this episode were Plan A. This isn't even Plan B. Plan A was presenting my idea to academics, like schools. This is a research paper that suggests applying business concepts, like Kurt Lewin's Unfreeze, to address the communication problems present on the subject of sustainability. I source and reference everything I state and present. Apart from things that are easily researched and likely common knowledge on the subject of sustainability. I didn't include too many specific numbers and statistics since the data we have access to is currently unreliable. I found one source that put a particular problem between 10 and 50-50%. That is a crazy large range when it decides the fate of our planet. Plan A was submitting this idea formally to academics, getting one school, or even better, a small coalition of schools on board with this idea would have provided a much larger success rate for this idea to work. We have discussed the Rogers adoption curves at some length on this show, see episodes 24 and 31. But in a nutshell, new ideas are very slow to gain acceptance. According to Everett Rogers, only 2.5% of people immediately see the value in a new idea. So only 2.5% of people, statistically, will see the value of the ideas I propose in this podcast. And again, if this is difficult to believe, I thoroughly outline and provide sources of this in the podcast. The slow acceptance of new ideas is outlined in episodes 6, 22, 23, 24, 29, 30, 31, and 32. I also include two separate books that outline this very problem. You can read more in the book The Myths of Innovation by Scott Birkin and in the book The Greenhouse Approach by Chitra Anand. However, my thought process was that the percentage of innovators, otherwise known as the 2.5% of people who immediately see the value of the new idea, would be higher among scientists and academics. Like 70 or 80% acceptance, because they're taught to think this way, aren't they? 
A scientist or academic should be more willing to accept new ideas because they have been trained and educated to accept new ideas when presented with enough evidence. Or so I thought. I have encountered two individuals with respected PhDs among the course of my diagnosis. One of these individuals stated in front of a classroom of students that there was still a debate occurring on the subject of sustainability and human-caused climate change. Also, I was lucky enough to meet with another individual with a doctorate in physics. This person was intelligent, open-minded, and offered their assistance to my projects. But when I was in the middle of my presentation, which I spent weeks preparing for, this individual informed me that they were more concerned about global cooling instead of global warming that causes climate change. This was the event that made me create episode 27, where we explained why we should only be currently concerned with global warming. I'm not going to identify anyone by name since they are simply a symptom of the communication problem that is present within the field of sustainability and actually generally in our world. Also, I'm not here to start finger-pointing or here to launch accusations. But here's what's even crazier. Do you think that a person with a PhD is too dumb to go to the United Nations website on their own? Of course not. They're choosing not to look and cling desperately to their warped reality. If you're curious, here is the opening line on the United Nations website regarding climate change. Quote, Climate change is the defining issue of our time, and we are at a defining moment. End quote. According to all of our governments that make up the United Nations, there is no debate. Maybe there was at some point, but that was a long, long time ago. If this is news to you, then it is simply further proof that the communication system is broken. Go check for yourself on the United Nations website. I encourage you to. We will leave a link to the website in the episode description to make it even easier for you. What all this means is that, unfortunately, I cannot even formally present my evidence because the communication system is so broken and the general perception of sustainability is so far removed from the reality of the situation that those I attempt to present my ideas to are not even aware there is that big of a problem. And any attempt made to present evidence on the subject of sustainability itself is dismissed since I lack the required credentials to get academics to see the validity of my ideas. I don't have a fancy PhD. When I tactfully attempted to inquire as to the sources the doctorate in physics was looking at to form their expert opinion on the subject of global cooling, they basically responded with their credentials. I went to school for this, John, was the response I was provided with. It was likely not intended to be, but to me, that is rather insulting. The credentials, in this case, are rather meaningless. True, there is some overlap with this educational background to other fields like atmospheric, geological, and oceanic sciences, but any expert should be able to provide sources, when asked, to back up their expert opinions. I provided the United Nations, NASA, MIT, The Guardian, the IPCC, and many other legitimate sources. 
This individual basically provided a piece of paper outlining their education and research. That's what a PhD is, in essence. And I'm not here to trivialize a PhD by any means. Anyone that has one should be darn proud of this accomplishment. But you need to decide for yourself who presented the stronger case. Because let's be real, this, sadly, is not an isolated opinion held by academics. And part of the problem I have had gaining traction with these ideas. I'm not trying to imply every academic and scientist thinks like this. Quite the contrary, I'm surprised this many of them actually think this way. I'd expect better from those fortunate enough to live in a world where they are granted the opportunity to study a particular subject for this many years. Did they earn it? Of course. But no one earns any education completely 100% on their own. Countless individuals came before to add to this collection of knowledge. See episodes 22 and 32 for more info. Without these others, we would not have access to the many luxuries many of us enjoy today, like this terrific podcast. Going back to the Rogers adoption curve, throughout the course of my research, I have begun to suspect that the percentage numbers used in the Rogers adoption curve are still, sadly, the same for scientists and academics. This means the 2.5% of people that make up the innovators. These are the only people who will see and understand the value of a new idea. So if I approach 100 schools with my idea, only 2.5% of them, statistically, will see the value in it. Now, let's say on average, I can arrange to meet once a month with an expert with the credentials necessary to provide me with legitimacy I require. At that speed, it would take over 8 years to meet with 100 experts. And that doesn't even mean I have managed to locate my 2.5%. We don't have 8 years. And don't forget, the communication system is so broken that PhDs don't realize that the debate is long over. And journalists can't even be trusted on their knowledge of geography. So this 2.5% of innovators I am looking for is probably an even lower number than that. If it happens to further drop that number to, let's say, 0.5%, this means it would take me roughly 16 years to locate one school that would be on board and see the value in my ideas. Maybe. Think I'm exaggerating? Read the books I mentioned. If you can't be bothered to, that's fine. I have already told you what is in them. Feel free to simply forward this podcast on. You don't have to keep listening. You can help me locate those that see the value in these new ideas. Here is a quote from the book, The Myths of Innovation. The greater the potential for an idea, the harder it is to find anyone willing to try it. Here's another quote from Howard H. Aiken, an inventor and a pioneer in computers. He is quoted as saying, Don't worry about people stealing your ideas. If your ideas are any good, you'll have to ram them down people's throats. Here's another quote from the book, The Greenhouse Approach. The most obvious feature of a new and innovative idea is that it won't fit neatly into the structure of the status quo. I challenge you to read the books if you're at all interested. If you're not, that's fine. Forward this podcast on. I guarantee you, eventually, someone will read my sources. 
someone will peer review this for me, or someone will definitively state and source why it is I am wrong. Then there is also the difficulty that my academic field does not technically exist. See episode 32 for more info. Who then am I supposed to submit this idea for peer review? See episode 29 for more info on peer review. Basically, peer review is just getting others to review my work and saying whether or not I am correct. The next option is journalism. They have the required legitimacy as well to perform this task. Problem is, due to the fall of journalism, see episode 31 again for more sources and explanations, there is only a select few sources globally that even accurately report on sustainability and climate change. So, of a handful of options, only 2.5% of those will also see the value of the new idea. The numbers are vastly stacked against me, particularly due to the time constraints that we have. I have already approached and forwarded on this plan as well as future plans and strategies to news outlets. Here's the challenge. Many of our experts have their heads buried in the sand on this topic, as outlined by my attempt to present my idea. Is it hard to believe there is a global communication problem when people with PhDs still think there is a debate going on? Internationally, our governments are signing things like the Paris Agreement. Any PhD denier would probably reevaluate their ideas and opinions if they read the opening line on the United Nations website regarding climate change. And journalism is kind of pooched at the moment. My hope is that responsible journalists on both sides of the spectrum, whether conservative or liberal, take over the role I will be attempting with this podcast. This chain letter. See episode 35. If the concepts and strategies within the podcast are a bit lost on you and you don't fully understand, my apologies. This is certainly not a reflection of your ability to understand something or your level of intelligence. It is simply a reflection of my skill level to independently attempt to simplify these ideas. Hopefully, many of you do understand. I would prefer that as many people as possible understand these ideas. After my initial plan to present this to a school failed, I was hoping those in my life would provide me with the peer review and editing prior to submitting this to news outlets. On my own, I'll just sound like a crazy person. As already stated, journalists are already overworked and understaffed. I am not at all surprised I have received zero response from them at this point. But what if this idea was reviewed and supported by other respectable people I know in my life? None of them are PhDs, but they're all hardworking, capable, and respectable individuals. If they're backing me up, it drastically lowers the chance that I appear like a crazy person and increases the likelihood of this strategy to gain traction. It also helps simplifying the concepts by getting useful feedback. But Despite many attempts and lots of effort, even people I'm quite close to have been very difficult to convince to listen to my ideas. I started back in January and tried to make the episodes as short as possible, 
so as to only take up 10 or 15 minutes a week of someone's time. I thought this would not be too much. I was wrong. Despite continued attempts, it was only once I basically hit the level of begging that they would listen to my podcast, otherwise known as my research paper, and this made me realize two things. The 2.5% of innovators changes for every subject. Someone that's an innovator in one area or on one subject may be a laggard in another. None of the people in my life are innovators on this subject. This means I have been unable to locate anyone willing to help see if I should reward anything or expand on any ideas or anything else I may have overlooked. My last attempt to get everyone to actually listen to it was episode 29.5, and even this attempt did not work. Again, it's not that anyone disagrees with me, almost no one has listened to me. Which is unfortunate. I was not being too pushy with anyone until this became my last attempt at this problem. What you are currently listening to was never plan A. You're listening to me right now because all of my other previous attempts to gain an audience have failed. I have failed. Plans A, B, and C have failed. Make no mistake, I'm not 100% sure the chain letter this podcast will work. Because it depends on others helping me. Such as you, whoever's listening to this right now. And so far, I have had almost zero help. If you understand the concept, then hopefully you agree with me and help spread this idea. If you don't get it, but still 100% believe in sustainability, then all you need to do is forward this podcast on. That's it. Forward this message, and the change will immediately follow, I assure you. But here's the problem. These ideas and this podcast are vulnerable to the misinformation and disinformation present on the subject of sustainability. If this was supported by a small coalition of schools or news media, then it wouldn't be too bad. However, I have failed getting either on board. I certainly don't blame the journalists. If one dude is presenting an idea on his own, he's going to look like the crazy person. I get it. I tried my best to get people to listen to it after my attempt with the academic route fell short. And try as I might, one person is not strong enough to defend these ideas with the challenges I have laid out for you. That's why this was not plan A. The likelihood for success on its own, unaided, is probably quite low. But it's a shot worth taking, I think. If you care about sustainability and you want to see some realistic progress take place, then here is what I ask you to do. If you don't 100% understand my ideas, but you want a more sustainable planet, then forward this episode and podcast onto others you know that are already concerned about sustainability. There is zero profit in this for me, as I have already stated in the podcast in episode 35. In fact, there's a potential $5,000 cost at my expense. I've run out of ideas to get people to listen. I want to restate yet again, not a living soul has told me that I am wrong, or why I am wrong. Almost no one has listened to me, and those that have, such as the PhD, do not believe in climate change. 
or worse, they think they're smarter or distrust statements made by the United Nations. If you do understand the ideas, then here is my challenge to you. If you can prove me wrong, the cash is yours. To me, it's a small price to pay to regain my sanity. Because I cannot ethically fully drop these ideas until someone proves me wrong, and me thinking these strategies will correct these problems when literally no one listens to me is driving me nuts. I'll leave details at the very end on exactly what I mean when I say, prove me wrong. To clarify, if you go through and find a minor mistake or data or, or incorrectly used term, that's not what I mean when I say proving me wrong. Please keep in mind, I am 100% on my own. If there are minor mistakes, it's not because I did not try to have people verify the information for me. I tried desperately to have this edited and fact-checked. At this point, Carlos is my fact-checker. Feel free to check out the episode picture to see why he has not been too helpful. However, if you cannot find anything wrong, then I challenge you to at least have five people close to you listen to it and make the same $5,000 challenge to them, and so on. Preferably people already on board with sustainability. I'm not against any denier listening to it at this point, I just don't think it will help accelerate this idea right now. And it increases the likelihood of encountering resistance to these new ideas. One of two things should happen, either of which I am happy with. You prove me wrong, and I can happily move on with my life. You cannot prove me wrong, and you help me spread these ideas so we can repair our broken communication system together. The podcast will work if enough people listen to it. There is currently zero profit in it for me. In fact, I am offering up my own cash for this. Offering up five grand is a greasy sales tactic, I admit, and it was not my first choice, since it kind of removes a lot of legitimacy. As I have said, this was not my first idea, and I didn't really come up with it until a few days ago. It's my last Hail Mary attempt. Another issue is that I kind of value my privacy, and I ask others, if this wild idea does work, then please respect my request for privacy. This level of exposure and additional risk is not really my first choice, particularly on a subject as divisive and emotionally charging as sustainability. Please don't shoot the messenger. I just think it would be unethical for me to bury this idea, even though it's very tempting to do so. Here's what I mean when I challenge you to tell me how and why I'm wrong. The main point and claim I am currently making is that our communication system is quite broken. And I suggest repairing it using business concepts that specialize in repairing communication within large organizations. The only thing you will get the cash for is to prove me wrong on this exact claim. My claim that if globally everyone hears and understands the message, that the perception will change and communication will be resolved. In order to argue this claim, you need to listen to the podcast and reference the episodes by number and the points that I have made that are incorrect. I don't think I'm wrong. In fact, I'm so confident that I am willing to put up my own money. I do so hesitantly, not because I think I'm wrong, 
but not everyone likes to properly listen to instructions. Some listeners will argue just based on this episode alone. That won't win you any money. Provide proof that my main points are wrong. That communication is not broken to the point I claim. News outlets incorrectly label countries. There is a growing group of people who think the earth is flat. PhDs think that sustainability is not a problem. There is a growing concern that the outcomes of democratic elections can be influenced by external sources by flooding the internet with strategically misleading information. Our data is unreliable. Too many people currently get their news from social media, which has been proven time and again to be very unreliable. See episode 31. This is the reason for the level of debate and denial. I challenge anyone to check out the United Nations website or the many sources I provide throughout these episodes, throughout this research paper. Even many of those of you concerned about sustainability don't know how bad the problem has become. Am I wrong? Cool. Prove it to me. Prove to me that our communication system is not broken, and I will happily award you $5,000. And if you cannot do so, then ask yourself, how can we globally solve this complicated a problem when we cannot communicate properly and effectively? Globally, governments already talk to one another. That's why they sign things like the Paris Agreement which is an international agreement to try and get our emissions under control, and therefore, more sustainable. Though to be clear, this agreement is doing very little to address the problem of sustainability. People within the countries are more vulnerable to bad, misleading, incorrect, or incomplete information. You realize that there is a percentage of our global population right now whose only source of news is what famous people and elected officials post on their Twitter feeds. And that's not a cheap shot intended at anyone. I think it's cool we can communicate in that style. But if this is a person's only source of news, then how do they have any idea what's occurring in our world? I'm not saying this is the only problem. I have already listed many others, and I spent a third of our episodes in this podcast outlining this very problem. There is an entire episode called Communication, episode 31. Feel free to start by listening to that one. The episodes don't have to be listened to in any particular order. I wrote them that way intentionally. However, I strongly suggest listening to all of them if you are skeptical of my claims and you want to challenge me for the $5,000. There are five main points made that you can check out in the summary episode, episode 36, and using a modified version of Kurt Lewin's Unfreeze to repair communication and public perception of sustainability. See episode 35 for more info on Kurt Lewin's change process. Please do not attempt to argue the individual data points made. Keep in mind, the data that exists is not reliable. Any attempt made to prove me wrong, if I am, must be submitted with legitimate sources like the United Nations, NASA, and legitimate news outlets like The Guardian. I'm not against right-wing news sources, and if you do find good ones, tell them to reach out to us. But keep in mind, 
Many right-wing news sites, much like some experts with doctorates, are in denial of the problem and do not even report on it. The info isn't that much more reliable from left-wing news sources either. I provided an example of this in episode 31 as well. There is no debate on climate change according to the United Nations, NASA, and The Guardian, and many other respected organizations. The only debate exists due to these communication problems. The story of sustainability has not really been updated and communicated since the disruption that occurred in the field of journalism in the 1990s. For more proof of this, see episode 31. I try to repeat myself as little as possible in the podcast, except where I have found it necessary to do so. But again, I am on my own. Please forgive minor mistakes I have already admitted are most likely present. I have found and corrected one or two myself. But I do not have the time to correct many of these on my own. You have to help me defend these points and this research paper, this podcast. Make no mistake, the level of initial resistance will likely be quite high. I wish there was more support, but right now, there's just me, baby. Hopefully that's enough. Specific to the five main points identified, along with the Kurt Lewin modified unfreeze, see episode 35, I encourage you to tell me where I'm wrong, but more specifically, tell me why I'm wrong on the subject of broken communication. I have done my due diligence. I have provided a new idea, supported it with evidence, and attempted to submit it to the appropriate channels. However, I was not met with the same level of respect. It was never verbally stated this way, but the reason is basically, I'm not formally educated enough to garner respect by some experts. Thereby implying that my evidence, you know, the United Nations, NASA, MIT, The Guardian, this evidence and these sources are somehow worth less than a PhD. It's weird how the rules conveniently change when trying to present new ideas. No one currently appears to be playing by the rules when it comes to adding to our sea of knowledge. See episodes 22 and 32. The burden of proof is on me to present my evidence, but I am not being taken seriously because of what? My technical background is mostly as a technician? That is without doubt, nor exaggeration, the most profoundly stupid thing I have ever heard, which is saying something given that Japan now has a new home off the coast of Australia. Every occupation is challenging in many unique ways, even if it's something as small as preserving your sanity, which from experience, and as I am sure many of you understand, can be quite a challenge. Anyone should be able to present a new idea with a body of evidence supporting their idea. Simple as that. In an attempt to preserve my legitimacy, my $5,000 challenge is not exactly a new idea among academics. We mentioned the book on this show before, but an example of this can be found in the book Problem Solved, The Great Breakthroughs in Mathematics, written by Robert Snedden. Which, as an aside, I may have mispronounced this gentleman's names previously, along with many names mentioned on the show. Uh, proper pronunciation of names is obviously not a skill of mine. 
The book explains that during the Renaissance, mathematicians would challenge each other with exactly these sorts of wagers. The stakes were often even higher than what I'm proposing. Reputations, livelihoods, and fortunes were often put on the line. Don't get me wrong, I fully respect anyone that has gone to school and learned something to the depth required to gain a doctorate. It's no small or trivial accomplishment. I don't have too many fancy certificates, but I do have $5,000 of my own cash I am willing to put up to see if anyone else can prove me wrong. It's a new idea, sure, so chances are only 2.5% of people will initially see the value in it. But that 2.5% could literally be anyone on our planet. It could even be you. I sincerely hope it is. I would love it if someone finally entertained these ideas I have spent over two years of my life working on. And here is my challenge to you. If the results of my overall diagnosis is incorrect, which again means the five main problems, and correcting our communication with a modified Kurt Lewin unfreeze, then please let me know and I will happily award you the money. Keep in mind, this may require you to check the sources I have provided. If this was an easy task, I would be offering up far less than $5,000. And again, I am 100% serious. I have left a picture of the cash in the episode description picture. As you'll see, my consulting partner Carlos insisted on being in the picture. Also, to clarify, the money is back in the bank, and I will be exchanging the money for your hard work via wire transfer. I don't care where you are on the globe, the money is yours if I'm wrong. However, if you cannot prove me wrong, then my simple request is that you forward this podcast, this chain letter, this research paper to at least five people. Preferably those already concerned about sustainability as well, and tell them my $5,000 sustainability challenge. As well, there's another thing you can do. Feel free to post somewhere online, whether it's Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, email, or even MySpace if that's still a thing. Challenge others to see if they can also prove me wrong. Call people out on social media. The $5,000 sustainability challenge. And maybe come up with a better name for it. That one's lame. And is it super lame to ask you to promote it on social media? You betcha. But Carlos and I like to get results. And this was Carlos's final decent idea. Last, if you do decide to forward it on, you need to help defend this podcast against misinformation and disinformation. Again, I cannot stress how much this was not plan A. My apologies that I did not have the skill required to correct communication 100% on my own. I need your help to correct this communication problem. At the end of this, you'll either be $5,000 Canadian richer, or you'll have a more sustainable planet. Doesn't seem like a bad deal either way. So here's exactly what this podcast is. This podcast is a research paper, where I am comparing our global systems to a business, and I performed a global diagnostic. Is it crazy? 
Well, I guess that's why you're listening to me shell out $5,000. To be clear, no one has told me I'm wrong, because a lot of people are in crazy denial of this problem. See episode 36 on where you can locate more episodes related to the emotions associated with sustainability. Episode 36 is our summary episode and table of contents. There is also two separate series within the podcast, or if you prefer, you can also start by listening at episode 1. You'll probably notice that my hosting skills have improved a little since then. Look, I'm not some angsty teenager in my parents' basement recording a podcast. No offense directed at anyone. But I'm for real. I'm serious right now. I hope this shows you just how confident I am. I like my money. I got plans for that money. I can go visit some beautiful countries for that type of money. It's a lot to me, and not something I would casually throw away. But if you can play fair, and reasonably, and properly source your counter-arguments, then heck yeah, take it, I challenge you. Because this is the only way people might finally listen. Unfortunately, as I've said before, it also lowers this show's integrity. But hopefully you realize just how bad the communication system is. I outline it in reference detail. I also provide additional sources as groundwork for upcoming solutions I plan to propose. Some of you might enjoy reading the books referenced, and I've got more I can recommend for you as well. The option is yours. This is a single message on sustainability. And yes, I admit, some of the facts may be a tad incorrect. Because that's kind of the problem right now. I'm not a scientist, nor am I a government representative. My access to the data is the same as anyone else. And may even vary slightly depending on your location. Our world is a very large and interesting place. You have two options to listen to this podcast. You can start at episode 1 and progress through it, or you can check out the executive summary in episode 36. This outlines all of our points and provides our table of contents. Also, as an FYI, it's not my intent to try and confuse anyone between switching between the pronouns of I and we. I started doing that because I naively thought that at least one person would be interested. And by interested, I don't mean listening to one or two random episodes. I mean checking out what I'm saying and checking some of my sources. Didn't happen. And if you do prove me wrong, you can, rem- you can remain anonymous. I don't care. Don't let that stop you. I'll upload the refuted evidence in another episode and move on. This means I humbly ask you to stay tuned either way. Keep listening to this podcast even if there's no new episodes because there will eventually be another episode either proving or disproving my ideas. If this plan D of mine works, then help me shove these ideas and this podcast so far up the world's butt that no one can sit comfortably without thinking of the name Viable Underdogs and the $5,000 Sustainability Challenge. Also, you may have noticed that we never posted a proposal episode. I left it with a news source and surrendered the copyright to it. I'm still naively hopeful that they will report a story on it sometime in the future. That would be excellent, because we do need their help. Carlos and I can't do this alone. As well, if this podcast goes offline for a while, don't stress out too hard about it. Um, I'm not an expert in this sort of thing. I've been having a crash course, 
But if the podcast does go down, it's more than likely because I'm not that familiar with the technical side of podcasting and I have done something wrong. There is more than one channel for communication, and in any case, we would likely be back up within a week or so. Hopefully sooner, but I also have a life. I have been working at this quite relentlessly for a couple of years now. I kind of want a break. I haven't been paid to do this global sustainability consultancy work in two years. On top of that, I've had to pay out of my own pocket tuition costs to perform a diagnostic on our own education systems. And FYI, tuition costs for schools are not cheap in North America. And now I'm potentially dishing out another $5,000 of my own money. This job sucks. But yeah, five grand. Listen to the podcast and tell me why I'm wrong. If I'm not wrong, then my challenge to you is to find at least five other people to actively listen to it as well. Here is my final plea. I'm not posting more episodes after this if this gains zero traction. As in, if people still don't listen to it, I'm done. I've got some really cool ideas pulled from the business field to start enacting realistic change if you're all on board. There is already proof of concept. It's listed in my sources. I am not promoting this podcast to needlessly promote fear or dread. I want to promote knowledge and discussion. This podcast is not my idea to solve sustainability. Only to promote discussion and knowledge on the subject and correct the problem of communication. I have more strategies pulled from the business field that can accelerate change within a couple of years with any luck. But this requires an active, engaged, and knowledgeable audience. You don't have to go off and earn a degree. There is adequate info in this podcast. It's a crash course on sustainability that also explores some of the basis for new upcoming strategies. But some of you may have to listen to some episodes more than once. I would need to if I was in your place. I have listened to this entire podcast many times even though I wrote it. It covers a lot of material, so it was important to know what I had already said, and I have zero desire to listen to my own voice for that long. It's not because I wanted to. Here's the thing. I'm an ex-mechanic. I'm not an environmentalist. I lean left on some subjects, and I lean right on some other subjects. Both sides have the ability to make valid points. Sustainability is equal to survival. Prove me wrong. Our officials are publicly stating that our projected ranges for when things could get really bad may be in as little as 10 years. See episode 28. I'm a normal guy. You're not going to find me on the corner of the street signaling this is the end on a cardboard sign. I am merely stating that the pessimistic estimates are putting these problems becoming bad in as little as 10 years. And our journalists and scientists currently struggle to find funding, so our communication and data system is pooched. So it's possible we even have less time than the 10 years. Or maybe the problem is 30 or 40 years away. But even if we are lucky enough that the optimistic estimates are more accurate, We will officially be the last generation 
able to pass on this massive global sustainability debt to the next generation. It's quite the legacy we're leaving for our children, isn't it? The United Nations has declared that sustainability is the defining moment in our time. In your opinion, does the current global perception appear to agree with that statement? Do we globally all live our lives as though sustainability is the defining moment of our time? Let's change that sentence up to reflect the world of a few decades ago. Prior to the 1990s, it could be argued that the Cold War was the defining moment of that time. Anything that has the ability to annihilate half or more of the planet becomes the defining moment. Our world now has to address problems at a global level. Nuclear war and sustainability are two such examples of this. Just because nuclear war never happened doesn't mean it cannot have had drastic and terrible consequences for our global civilization and our planet. This is your world. You're the one who now decides if you can save it. It depends 100% on you. You, the very person listening to this podcast. And I know I may sound a tad crazy right now, but that's why I implore you to prove me wrong. And I am putting $5,000 of my own cash. I challenge you, make these connections for yourself. Listen to my podcast and tell me I am wrong. I hope it's simplified enough for an average person to understand it. And I'm not saying that to sound demeaning. I always like to first learn a new subject like I'm a five-year-old. How else am I going to understand something if I have zero inputs from that field? I cover a lot of stuff in this podcast, and you may have to listen to it a few times over to process all the information. I would need to. This took me eight months to write. And I think like a year and a half prior to that to research and study the problem. A typical diagnostic on a car might sometimes sadly drag on into a couple of days. Those are the tricky ones. I chased my tail one time over a case of bad fuel. Bad fuel! A super simple problem to what can cause really weird issues. And yeah, even a hobbyist mechanic could have located that problem quicker. We sometimes overcomplicate things even if we have the experience to know better. But this diagnostic, this sustainability diagnostic, took a bit longer. I wasn't keeping track, and there was some overlap as I encountered other problems, but this one took me roughly one year to diagnose, and about another year to implement a working strategy. This is plan D, after all. Sorry I let you down on all the others, and my apologies that it took as long as it did. I just really thought that presenting the idea for the first time to an academic would have been the finish line. I challenge you to prove me wrong. I, in many ways, don't want to be right. $5,000 for someone to prove me that my evidence is wrong. Because it's not my evidence. It's evidence already provided by many experts and many fields. I don't gain much by being right, other than more unpleasant work. It's not that anyone has yet disagreed with me. No one has even taken the time to listen to my podcast, my research paper, my evidence, 
my diagnostic. You don't even need to. If this episode is enough to inspire you to forward this along, then go right ahead. I'm not here to needlessly waste your time. Forward it on and I guarantee you it will fix our communication problem if enough people forward it on. I am only trying to point the world in the direction of reliable data and sources that I think we can all agree we trust, right? I'm putting up my own cash. This is it, the last idea I have. I'm giving up after this point. It's hard for me to believe that you will listen and forward this on when people who have known me for years haven't even listened to me. Still not sure how I feel about that. But I am making plans to move on. It is madness to continue pursuing an idea when no one can be bothered to listen to it. I am booking a trip soon to see more of the world. Then if the podcast still has zero traction at that point, I have to move on with the next phase of my life. I'd rather not. This sustainability problem will still exist, and the thought that these strategies could have made drastic improvements is heartbreaking to me if they are never attempted. But at least by offering up my own cash, no one can say I didn't try hard enough. See episode 25. I have mostly given up. Because these ideas cannot work without an audience, and right now, no one's listening to me. And I don't really have a lot of cash to more effectively promote these ideas. I'm on my own. I'm willing to put up a bit of my own cash, and if I somehow lose it, great, fine, I can move on. Someone has proven me wrong. Someone has listened to me and proven me wrong. Either help me understand why my ideas don't work, or help spread them. I honestly don't care which one it is at this point. But ethically, I am unable to simply move on without resolving this. If what I am saying is correct, then it would be immoral of me to leave this alone. If I'm wrong, cool, I'm fine with that. If you want these solutions, please take them. If you don't, then take my money if you can prove them wrong. No one really understands in my life why I'm quite upset at the moment. I performed a diagnostic, found some stuff, tried to bring it to people's attention, and no one has even listened. This podcast explains everything I've just said. I know it's a bit long, but you want proof of what I'm saying here? That's all the episodes are in a nutshell. To be clear, these problems can probably all be addressed in a very short amount of time. 5 to 10 years to implement realistic change. See episode 35. But this podcast and idea would need to spread quite quickly. That's the reason I have put a time limit on the $5,000 challenge. We are running out of time for these strategies to work. Feel free to do some research to see how experimental some of the currently proposed future solutions will be and the likelihood that they can also cause further problems. And that's assuming there are no conflicts that are start to arise over decreased supply of global resources. The reason for this decreased supply? Unsustainability. I'm not here trying to repeat the solutions you have already heard. Boycott this, or stop eating that, or start pointing fingers at certain individuals or other organizations. I am proposing new ideas and strategies never before seen in sustainability. They already exist in other fields, are already taught in schools, 
and already have smaller scale proof of concept. This has never been attempted on this scale, but there's no reason to think it wouldn't work. I am begging you to listen. I am begging you to either forward these ideas and this podcast on or prove me wrong as per the previous instructions and take my money. I need one of those two things to happen. Seriously, I regret having performed this diagnostic and a part of me wishes I have never ventured down this rabbit hole. Five grand. Either prove me wrong or forward it on. I challenge you to do your own research if I sound crazy. If you go to legitimate sources, you'll see the exact same stuff I am saying here. $5,000. I am dead serious. That's my challenge to you. If this falls on deaf ears, don't tell me I didn't try. How many of you out there have ever been so confident in something you were willing to wager $5,000 of your own money? Something to keep in mind should you choose to ignore me, much like everyone else has. So back to what I said at the start of the episode about our global sources of information. Yes, NASA is an American organization, but look at their stance on climate change. Last I checked, they are quite concerned about it. The United Nations calls climate change the defining moment of our time, and we are at a defining moment, and The Guardian, earlier this year, changed the wording on climate change to match the escalation of the problem. They are calling it a climate crisis. How many other news sites have followed suit? How many other global sources of information do we have that we trust? Now let's go further on this idea. What if, as a species, globally, we all pretty much accepted the idea that NASA, the United Nations, and The Guardian should be in charge of legitimate, mostly unbiased, information on global matters. Because I've got news for you, they are all saying we are in the middle of a crisis. And if there was not a communication problem present, then why is it that our national and and local news coverage are not saying the same thing? How many other news outlets are calling it a crisis? Much like the United Nations and The Guardian are doing. And these two legitimate organizations that most of us should agree we should be able to trust are calling it a crisis, and NASA's official statement on their website do not dispute any of these statements. Then why aren't we treating it like it is? A crisis. That's not me saying that. I challenge you to go look. And what if, for a moment, you pretended that these three sources of information were globally our only sources of information? Does the perception they are creating with their statements possibly make you think that it is different than most other sources of info? If you ignore all other sources of information and only focus on those three, what does it tell you? These three are telling us that we are in the midst of a crisis and globally we have a communication problem and this is the first time the world has encountered a problem like this in its history. Our communication systems are broken. This podcast covers this in great detail. I provide many sources, and if I am wrong, and sustainability is not a crisis, and our communication system is not broken, then I will gladly fork over the $5,000. 
I challenge you to look for yourself. But here is the real question you need to ask yourself. Do you really think I'm going to lose that money? Because it is directly tied to statements made by the United Nations, NASA, The Guardian, and many others. Prove me wrong. Please, I am begging you. I will gladly fork over the cash because really, this is not a situation where I take any joy or pride in being right. I hope this is enough to convince some of you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you can prove me wrong, please send your sources and evidence to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. You can check out the UN website at unfccc.int or you can click the link in the episode description to check out the quote we use on the show. You can check out NASA's site on climate change at climate.nasa.gov. For more info on the fall of journalism, you can check out theguardian.com. The article is called, Journalism Faces a Crisis Worldwide, We Might Be Entering a New Dark Age, by Margaret Simons, published on April 15th, 2017. The article about the geography mix-up can also be found at theguardian.com. To clarify, they were not the news outlet that made the geography mistake. The article is called, Russia Today Puts Japan on the Map Where New Zealand Should Be, written by... Naman Zhu, that's N-A-A-M-A-N-Z-H-O-U, on August 24th, 2019. More info on the De Beers marketing campaign can be found at nytimes.com, that's the New York Times. The article is called How Diamonds Became Forever, written by J. Courtney Sullivan on May 3rd, 2013.